I forgot a couple announcements. Regina and Daryl, 26th anniversary. Happy anniversary, Regina. Lisa told me about that yesterday. And uh, yesterday was Stuart's birthday. Happy birthday, Stuart. And he's up ready to serve. So if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. Birthday boy is going to bring you a Bible uh, right to your seat. And if you would, turn to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 17 this morning. My wife also wanted me to remind you that she said the t-shirts are in for the kids for Vacation Bible School. And so if your kids come into Vacation Bible School and you're here today now, then come on downstairs after service and they'll uh, get the kids their t-shirt for Vacation Bible School. So Matthew chapter 3, looking at verses 13 through 17 this morning. We read, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said, And permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The title of my message this morning is Baptism. What is it? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together, Lord. We thank you for your word that gives us uh, instruction, correction, uh, exhortation. Gives us everything we need to live a life of godliness, a life pleasing to you, Lord. It shows us our need for salvation. We thank you, Lord, for for the power of your Holy Spirit working through your word to change us and to mold us into the men and women that you've called us to be. And Father, we pray if there's anyone here that is yet to be born again, to, to have their sin forgiven, Lord, we pray that you'd especially touch their heart this morning and they would see their need for you and, and come to know you as Lord and as Savior. We thank you, Lord, again for this time as your Holy Spirit teaches us this morning through your word. So we ask your blessing upon it. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I found a story about a a drunken man who stumbled across a baptismal service on a Sunday afternoon down by the river. And he proceeds to walk into the water and stand next to the old country preacher. And uh, the minister notices the old drunk and says, Mister, are you ready to find Jesus? The drunk looks back and says, yes, preacher, I sure am. So the minister dunks the fellow under the water and pulls him right back up. Have you found Jesus, the preacher asked. No, I didn't, said the drunk. Well, the preacher then dunks him under for uh, quite a bit longer, brings him up and and says, now, brother, have you found Jesus? No, I haven't, reverend. Well, now the preacher holds the man under for at least 30 seconds and this time brings him up out of the water and, and says in exasperation, man, have you found Jesus yet? The old drunk wipes his eyes and says to the preacher, Are you sure this is where he fell in? (laughs) I like that one. (laughs) Baptism. What is it? Well, this morning we're going to look at three things concerning baptism. If you're taking notes, we're going to look at John's baptism. We're going to look at our baptism. We're going to look at the Holy Spirit baptism. 
Now remember that the theme of the Gospel of Matthew is Jesus as King. Now uh, Matthew has clearly pointed out that Jesus is King by prophecy. He's pointed out that Jesus is King through genealogy by the identification of the wise men. But now Jesus has grown up. He's about to begin his earthly ministry. Jesus has been raised in Nazareth and his relative John is in the wilderness of Judea. And Jesus is about to come to John to be baptized. Now this brings us to point number one, John's baptism. And let's understand a little bit about baptism. Baptism did not begin as a Christian ritual. It wasn't something that began after you know Christ came. It, you know, it wasn't, or its origins wasn't in the New Testament. It comes as a Jewish ritual. First of all, if you were a, a non-Jew, if you were a Gentile, and you wanted to convert to Judaism, you, you had to go through certain certain things in order to convert. Number one, you had to be taught Judaism by a scribe. Number two, if you were a male, you had to be circumcised no matter what age you were. And number three, you had to go through a ritual cleansing, a baptism, and immersion into water. Once you did those three things, you would eventually be allowed to convert to, to Judaism. And that was one of the reasons that they had baptism uh, during that time, during John's day. It was a baptism to conversion. The other reason for being baptized during John's time is that if you wanted to worship in the temple... You would have to go through a, a ritual bath, a, a baptismal there outside the temple, and, and the water had to be moving, even if it was moving very slowly. There had to be an inlet and an outlet, and, and the Jews always called moving water living water because it's moving, and so you had to be baptized there, and you would immerse yourself in this living water, then come out. It's a great picture there of what Jesus came to do. So if you wanted to go into the temple, right at the bottom of the steps of the temple, you'd get into the water, dunk yourself under the water, come up, dry yourself up, get up the steps and go into the temple. But if you defiled yourself, if you happen to touch a dead body along the way, you got to go back into the water. If you, you know, brushed up against a Gentile, you have to go back into the water again. You had to do it over again. So these were the two baptisms during the, the, this time in Judaism. So if you were a Gentile wanting to, to convert or if you were Jewish and wanted to go into the temple. But what makes John Baptist odd is that he's not immersing Gentiles to become Jews. He's also not outside the temple saying immerse yourself to be ritually cleansed. He's, he's in the wilderness. And he's baptizing Jews who needed to repent of their sins. See, the baptism of John was a baptism of repentance, the, the remission of sins. It was a lifestyle change. And he was calling on John's, again, was a baptism of repentance. You may remember from our study last week that John was reluctant to baptize the religious leaders, that is the Pharisees and the Sadducees, because he wanted them to demonstrate something, that there's been some change in their lives. There's no demonstration of that. So he said in verse 8, therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. In other words, there should be some outward evidence that an inward change has taken place in our lives, that God truly has touched your life and you've responded. People should see there's a change in your life. See, we, we can't know people's hearts. We can't tell by their words if they've truly been born again. You know, especially in America. I'm an American. Sure, I'm a Christian. You know, we don't know that. But we can tell by their actions. You can say you have faith, but I don't know you have faith. The only way I can tell that you have faith is if you have works. That's what James tells us. So show me your faith by your works. Works don't save you, but it's good evidence that you're saved. But if you're not producing fruit in your life and keeping with repentance, then I'd have to wonder if you're really a Christian to begin with. Because if you've met God, the creator of the universe, and he's living inside of you, then there should be evidence to, to some change. 
So John is saying you should bring forth fruit uh, in keeping with repentance. Now, who was that message directed to? To the tax collectors and the sinners? No, they knew they were sinners. He directed his message to the religious people. The ones who were trusting in their birthright to save them, in their upbringing, in their heritage, in their pedigree to be saved. Oh, we're, we have Father Abraham, you know, you know, and, 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 but in reality, they needed to get right with God. They were doing all these outward uh, things according to the law, but they were missing out on the inward change of heart. Self-deceived, self-righteous, they needed to repent. And that's why John was reluctant to baptize them. So here comes Jesus. And Jesus is requesting to be baptized. Look at verses 13 and 14. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you and you are coming to me. Now because John knew that his baptism was that of repentance, John couldn't understand why Jesus wanted to be baptized. Jesus had nothing, absolutely nothing to repent from. There's no sin in the life of the Savior. In fact, John said in verse 11, if you look at that, he said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, we don't know the extent of, of John's relationship with Jesus prior to their ministry here. We know that Elizabeth, John's mom, and Mary, Jesus' mother, were, were cousins. That made Jesus and John's second cousins. But one thing we always notice about John the Baptist is he's always pointing to his cousin Jesus. Always points to Jesus. He's the one. You're asking who I am. I'm just the voice. You know, he's the word. I'm just the messenger. He's the message. John knew who Jesus was, but he also knew Jesus was family. Let me say this. No one knows you better than your family knows you. I mean, they see you when you get up in the morning. They, they see you at your best and at your, your worst on the, on the jerk thermometer. Your family knows, you know, all the truth about you, be it your mom or dad or sister or brother. They know what you did when you were four years old and so on. They know all the practical jokes you pulled. When my, uh, I was a junior in high school, my, my sister was dating uh, one of my best friends and, and uh, we were going to watch the movie Gargoyles. It's a 1970s movie, you know, and the, you know, the gargoyles on the side of the buildings, they would come alive and eat people. And, and, uh, and I'd seen it before, and so I decided I want to have some fun. And so I took this fishing line, and I, and I tied it to the back of a rocking chair, and then I ran it along the side of the couch and, and put it on the couch there. And then I took another piece of fishing line, and I ran that to a light switch that we had on the wall, which in turn, if, you, if I pulled turn the light switch on, that would turn the power on to this organ that we had. And then I, I taped down these keys in the organ. And so... So we're sitting there and, and you know, the, the gargoyles are starting to come to life and they're chasing people down the street and all of a sudden I start rocking the rocking chair. You know, and my foot, I had to tie it around my foot and I'm just kind of rocking the rocking chair. My sister sees that. She, <laughs> and then about that time, you know, they start to get the people in the car and so I, I pull the, the string for the light switch and then the organ. Bang! <laughs> She's running out of the room and screaming and then... She remembers that to this day, and she'll never watch a scary movie with me ever. I, I don't know why. Listen, Jesus and John were cousins. They knew each other well. I don't know if they played practical jokes on each other or not, but what I do know is that John was in the ministry and had a special sensitivity about sin. And John himself had an abstinence and a righteousness, yet he recognized that Jesus, for some 30 years of them growing up together, that Jesus was without sin altogether. 
And John came to know that even though they were cousins, Jesus was the answer to man's needs to have their sins forgiven and that he is the savior of the world and that John believed his cousin was indeed God uh, uh, in human flesh. Now, none of us can say that about our cousins. <laughs> My cousin is God, you know, to, to take away the sins of the world. You know your cousins. You've hung out with your cousins. You, you fought with your cousins. But John knew that his cousin, his second cousin, Jesus, was the one to take away man's sin. That's why in verse 14 it says, I need to be baptized by you and you're coming to me. Because they understood this baptism was that of sinners who were repenting of their sin, not for one who's never sinned, one who, who has no need for repentance. But we read, look at verse 15. But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he allowed him. So you may ask, why then was Jesus baptized? What is this meaning here, fulfilling all righteousness? Well, if you're taking notes, let me give you four reasons why, why I, what this means. Uh, the first reason we might see for Jesus being baptized is that Jesus desired to be identified with John's ministry. To put a stamp of approval about what John was doing. Jesus uh, coming to the Jordan to be baptized was saying, I approve of John's ministry. Even though John is aware of his own sin, even though John is aware of his inadequacies, Jesus is saying, I approve of his service for me and his message of repentance is a valid one. In fact, next week when we look at uh, Matthew chapter 4, Jesus' first words are going to be, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Secondly, Jesus' reason for being baptized is he was identifying with lost humanity. In other words, Jesus wants to identify with each one of us, every human being. We're told in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He shared in our humanity. He was tempted in all ways as a, as a man, yet without sin. Jesus knew what it was like to feel and to cry and, and to suffer pain and disappointment and rejection. He identifies us in every way, identifies with us in every way. Even though he's never committed sin, he suffered the consequences of everyone's sin. Third reason Jesus was baptized, I believe, is to show submission to the Father. He was uh, declaring his submission to the Father's plan and his expectation of his Father's power. He knew what he came to do. We know that John 3.16 John 3, says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus was declaring, I'm doing what God's called me to do. I've come here to give life to those that, that, that have no life. Then finally, the fourth reason I believe Jesus was baptized was to illustrate for us the Trinity. Look at verses 16 and 17. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now understand the word Trinity is found nowhere in, in the Bible, but the Trinity is found throughout the entire Bible. We see it here as Jesus the Son comes up out of the water, then the Holy Spirit comes upon him in the form of a dove, and then the Father speaks from heaven. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all functioning in one place. Now understand that this is one of three times that the Father spoke from heaven. The second time was when Jesus was transfigured there on the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus said, This is my beloved, or God said, This is my beloved Son, hear him. 
And then the third time was last week, the last week before the cross, when Jesus prayed, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. Open testimony of the Father's approval of His Son. The Father's voice reflecting a relationship shared by no other. I think a couple of verses that, that really uh, remind us of this is Psalm 2, verse 7. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, You are my Son. Today I have begotten you. And then Isaiah 42, 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect one whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. Showing us that right at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry that he is not just a man getting baptized, but this is a demonstration of who he is. Part of the Godhead, the three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So why was Jesus baptized? To be identified with John's ministry, to identify with lost humanity, to show submission to the Father, to illustrate for us the Trinity. Now this brings us to point number two, our baptism. We have a baptism coming up next, you know, Sunday evening, 6.30 p.m. to 8.30, community center there in Nixa. Why? Well, first off, it's because Jesus commanded us to do it. First reason. Jesus told the disciples in Matthew 28:19, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells us to do it. Secondly, it's practiced in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8, verse 34 through 39, there's a story of the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip had, had shared with this guy, and, and they're riding along in the chariot, and it says in Acts 8, 36 to 39, now, as they went down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, see here some water, what hinders me from being baptized? Philip says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And they commanded the chariot to be still, and both Philip and eunuch went down to the water, and he baptized him, came out of the water, and and uh, the Spirit of the Lord cut Philip away, and, and the, the eunuch just rejoiced. He, he was just blessed. And finally, it was taught in the epistles, in the book of Romans, chapter 6. We'll look at that in a moment. So if something was taught by Jesus, practiced in the book of Acts, taught in the epistles, we accept that as a part of the ministry in the church, or a continuing process within the church. They call this hermeneutics. Now, accepting it as a church practice is one thing, but, but we must understand why we are to practice it. Jesus would not set this up unless it was for a purpose, for a reason. See, the word baptize comes from the verb meaning dip or plunge. In the passive, it means to drown. It was used for ships in the sense of sinking. Now, I don't plan on drowning anyone next, next, next week. Um, you know, the baptism is, is you know, Symbol putting you to death, your old nature, as you go into the water, rising out of your new nature. Now, some of you may have to hold down a really, really long time. That old nature of yours, I mean, it's got a lot of kicking to do, and I see no more bubbles, and then I think we'll be okay, but, but, uh, pull you back up just in time. (laughs) Just kidding. But I really, I really like Romans chapter 6. Because it signifies the link that we have in Christ through baptism. It explains what baptism is. Look at Romans 6, verse 3 through 5. It says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ, Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we will also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So again, being baptized, we're symbolically putting to death the old man or old nature or old ways, and then we rise up out of the water in newness of life. The problem is, 
for us so often is that we start digging up that old nature again. I shared this a while back when my son Christopher was four years old. I was out pulling weeds in the backyard and he found a frog that he got. He thought, Dad, I got this frog, I got this frog. And he's playing with the frog and all that. And a little while later, his dad, the frog, died. And so he's got a dead frog and, and, and he said, well, I'm going to go bury it. I said, okay, you go bury that frog. Come back and said, Dad, I buried the frog. Oh, okay, Chris, that's great. So I pulled some more weeds and stuff. And then he walks away. And a little bit later, he comes back. He's got dirt all over his hands. And he goes, Dad, the fog is still dead. And he's got the citizen. Okay, Chris, go bury it again, son. Okay. But I think that's how we are with our old life. We're buried in baptism. Yeah, man, I recognize, man, that old life is dead. It's dead. You know, then we go dig it up again. Stop digging it up. So, Jesus begins his ministry with this baptism. He's submitting to God's plan of death and burial. And, and, and I thank God that baptism isn't just about being dunked under the body of water. It's being pulled up out of that water into that new life. Yeah, Jesus submitted to the plan to die, but he rose from the dead and he's alive today. Verse 16 says, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. I love that. Now, you may not know this, but there's another place in Scripture that we see a man surrounded by water and a dove descending upon him. And it's not in the New Testament. It's Noah in the book of Genesis. In fact, Noah's name means comforter. Noah grew up in a world that was filled with idolatry and a world that was corrupt and wicked in every way. In fact, Genesis chapter 6 tells us that man's imagination was wicked all the time he, he was polluted beyond belief. But Scripture says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And God told Noah, I'm going to be merciful and, and, and drown this corrupt, sick world. I think merciful? Sure, you see, sending the flood, God was doing quickly and mercifully what man was doing slowly and painfully. The people of Noah's time were caught up in the occult and in all sorts of perversion and they were basically destroying themselves. So God passed judgment on the earth and caused it to rain for 40 days. All flesh perished except that which was inside the ark. Now when the rain let up, Noah then, remember, let out a raven and a dove. The raven represents a type of the flesh. And, and, and because they're scavenger birds that had much to feed on, it's dead and decaying bodies were everywhere. And, and the raven didn't return. But then Noah let out a dove. And a dove is a bird of purity. And the dove circled and couldn't find any place to land. So it landed back on the ship and returned to Noah. This is where we see the comparison with baptism. A man called Comfort, Noah, surrounded by water, a polluted world has been drowned, and a dove comes upon him. See, the story of Noah it gives us insight into just how important baptism is. When you're baptized, you're leaving the dead, dying, decaying world behind you. That world was, was in the past, was judged by water, and the future is going to be judged by fire. And you get, you get the picture that this world has nothing to offer us. It's, it's void, it's, it's decaying, it's dying, it's sinful, and it's corrupt. The world is just not a weird place. It's a place whose days are numbered. And that's what happens when you're baptized. The world is plunged into a watery grave to be put to death. But like Noah, you rise above the flood and you're able to live a new life in this world. So when we as Christians are baptized, we identify with Jesus in his death and resurrection an outward act that communicates an inward transformation. Colossians 2.12, another verse that tells us the same thing. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. 
It's more than just a, a physical bath. It's a spiritual commitment to obey God. It's dying to the world around you and rising to a new life in Christ. Now, in case you think, okay, Tom, you kind of stretched that story about Noah a little bit, analogy and baptism, but, but listen, someone else did the same thing. Peter, in his epistle, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20, it says this. It says, Who formerly were disobedient, when once a divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, and which a few, that is, eight souls were saved through water, there is also an antitype which now says this baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus. My point is this, every Christian should be baptized, if for no other reason than for, to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus knew no sin and identified with you. You and I have known nothing but sin, but Jesus asks us to be identified with him. He wants us to let the world, uh, the things of the world go, let them die out, and us to rise to a new way of living. And it's, it's a change of direction. Now, there's one more example of a guy who was baptized, so to speak. There was water. There was a dove. More of a radical baptism. In the Old Testament, his name literally means dove. You know him as a more familiar name, Jonah. <laughs> Jonah was a prophet. God asked the priest a message of repentance. He was to preach to the Ninevites to repent. There was one problem. He hated the Ninevites, the Gentiles. He hated the Assyrians. He also knew that God was kind and, and just. And if the people re, re, repented, that God would forgive them and spare them. And that's the last thing that Jonah wanted. So he rebelled against God, decided not to do what God called him to do. He goes and takes a cruise to the farthest port that civilization had to offer at that time. But alas, he's thrown overboard, wound up in the belly of a great sea creature. And so for three days, you might say he was in a gastrointestinal Hades. Just miserable. Now, the amazing thing of the story to me is not that a great fish swallowed Jonah, but that it took him three days to come to his senses and finally repent. But it wasn't at that point that he was broken and he repented of his arrogance and disobedience and suddenly he was resurrected as the well had the urge to regurge and, and vomited up and on the beach in Assyria. Now, Jonah's baptism was not the drowning of the world around him like Noah, but it was the drowning of the rebellion and the selfishness within him. It was different than that. Jonah had his own agenda, but through baptism, he surrendered it. That's why Jesus says this in Matthew sixteen twenty four. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. There has to be a denial of self that I'm going to deny myself and seek what God wants for my life. It's the drowning of that rebellion. It's the drowning of that self-centeredness. It's the, drown the drowning of, of my will. Not my will, but yours be done. Listen, Jesus had no other agenda than, than to rescue you and I from our sin. Jesus knew exactly what baptism meant. It was to fulfill the will of God. Now you might be thinking, okay, I understand that there's, there's Noah. There was death to sin of the entire world. And Noah's dying to the sin around us. I understand Jonah. Uh, it's a dying to the sin within us. But listen, I failed. I was baptized years ago and I failed miserably in my own Christian walk. Well, guess what happened to Noah after he was baptized? He failed miserably, right? He got drunk. He disgraced himself and got, got plastered. He exposed himself in such a way that it brought down a curse on one of his grandchildren. You see, the sinfulness was not eliminated with the destruction of humanity. Noah didn't cease to be human on the other side of the flood. He still sinned. What about Jonah? He preached the greatest single revival in, in the history of humanity. The entire city turned to the Lord. Some 400,000 Ninevites were spared destruction. 
What does Jonah do? He goes up to a hillside and throws a pity party. He's depressed. He feels that, you know, he felt like he'd felt miserably. That selfishness that should have died in the belly of the well was back again after the fact. Now catch this. During Noah's baptism, it, it rained for 40 days. After Jonah's baptism, he emerged and preached 40 days until the time Nineveh was supposed to be destroyed. In the next chapter, chapter 4 of Matthew, Jesus will be in the wilderness for 40 days. All three following their baptism had a time of trial, but only one, Jesus, would be victorious. Great man of faith, Noah, he failed. Great preacher, Jonah, failed, but not Jesus. See, Jesus succeeds where you and I fail. And we'll see next week he will overcome the devil after his baptism. You see, in baptism, you die to the sin around you. In baptism, you die to the sin within you. In baptism, you believe in the one who died for you. Yeah, we're not perfected when we're baptized. That will only happen when we are glorified. But we're perfectly forgiven. You're perfectly loved. Jesus paid for your sins, all of your sins. There was nothing imperfect about his sacrifice. And the same Jesus who triumphed over the trials lives inside of you. Listen to Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved, who loved me and gave himself for me. So, with all that said, if you've never been baptized, I think we know you really should consider that Jesus wants you to be baptized in obedience to him. There's no better reason a spiritual transaction takes place that's wonderful. If you've already been baptized, perhaps it's time to remember in your heart all that that means. You know, like Noah, it's, 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 it's watch the world drown in judgment as you live in faith. Jonah died as selfish, just walk in the newness of life. And if you felt like Noah and Jonah did, we all have know that Jesus didn't. He succeeded where others have failed. He who knew no sin became sin for you that, so that we can be forgiven. Listen, John the Baptist came at a strategic time in human history. He was a herald of the coming king. His distinct mission was that of making the people ready for the Messiah, warning them, telling them to repent because the Messiah is coming. And we too are living at a strategic time in history. We are the heralds of the coming king and we are eagerly waiting his return. And let me say, folks, we are closer to that day than we've, we've ever been. Of course, every day that we go through is closer than we've ever been. But I believe, as you look at prophecy, there's no prophecy yet to be fulfilled that would prevent the rapture of the church. So that tells me we're, we're close. We could go at any moment. It could be right now. Could be right now. Right now. Just hope, you know. One of these days it's going to happen. Because we see biblical prophecy being fulfilled before our very eyes. Most notably, the, the regathering of, of the nation of Israel, 1948. I mean, the, the, the becoming a nation. That, that's amazing fulfillment of prophecy. We know all the implements and plans are all in place for the Jewish people to rebuild their third temple that's got to be there. Because it's the one in which the Antichrist, after three and a half years during the Great Tribulation period, is going to go into and he's going to cause abomination of desolation. they got all these tools. Everything is ready. All the priestly garments, it's all ready. We're close. On a side note, it's interesting that today on the Jewish calendar is, is a day known as Tish, Tisha B'Av. It's a day that commemorates when the first and second temple was destroyed, first by the Babylonians and then secondly by the Romans. And tradition also says that this was the day that God sent the Jews 
into the wilderness for 38 more years when they refused to uh, enter the promised land. The day started last night at sunset and we'll go to this evening at sunset. So for the Jewish people, it's a, it's a time of mourning and fasting because of all their troubles throughout history, including the Holocaust. Well, they don't know that they brought them on themselves by rejecting Jesus Christ, but the fact is today is a day of mourning for them. And I would encourage us as believers to be praying for the Jewish people, especially those Jews that are scattered throughout the world. Praying that God would, would open their eyes and that there would be peace in Jerusalem and that, that according to Isaiah 62, verse 6 and 7, God would make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. But let me say with that said, there's so many things that are happening around us that as far as I'm concerned, Jesus Christ would come back at any time. So we, I mean, we're put in that same position that John is in, was in, to proclaim the second coming of our Lord. Now, now it's interesting in verse 3 when it says that John, that he is the voice of one crying in the wilderness. You know that word for crying can literally be translated howling? Have you ever heard someone howl? I, I mean, he's shouting. He's screaming. This is not a quiet man. And if you get the picture of how John was with, with the, the camel hair and, the, and the, the long hair and the beard and, and he's down in the river and he's shouting. Oh, you know, just, just this powerful thing going on. How did he get this boldness? How could he stand up to the religious leaders of his day? In fact, Luke chapter 3 verse 3 tells us that the, the word of God came to John. Or literally it burned in John's heart. Normally heart burns not a good thing. Yeah, but sometimes it can be good. John didn't get it from too much pizza or too much honey on his locust, but, but it came from the Lord. A fire burned inside this man from heaven. This brings us to our final point, number three, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit baptism. Go back to verse 11 for a moment. John says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So we know that John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. We know that, that there's our baptism, the outward example of an inward change. We know that John speaks here of the baptism of fire. Now that's a baptism that unbelievers will eventually get when they will be totally immersed in the fiery judgment of God. And we looked at that last week. But John says that Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a very controversial subject and a lot of godly men and godly women have taken completely different sides on the subject. So I will clear it all for, up for us in these last two minutes of our study. Actually, I will just uh, give you what I believe the Bible teaches concerning the Holy Spirit baptism. Now, some say the baptism of the Holy Spirit is simultaneously with, with salvation. So when a person becomes a Christian, they are baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ and that's that. Well, I don't think that's completely true. Now, I do believe that when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes into you. Clearly, He seals you. He is with you. He is in you. The Bible clearly teaches that. But the Bible also speaks of a dimension of power, sometimes referred to as a baptism of the Holy Spirit, that comes after salvation, that is available for every single believer. For example, the believers on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was already in them, because in John's Gospel, chapter 20, Verse 22, we read that Jesus breathed on his disciples and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit came into them. These are now men, disciples of Jesus, with the Holy Spirit living inside of them. But after that moment, after Jesus' resurrection, then he said to them in Acts 1-8 that they were to go and tarry in Jerusalem. And he said, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, 
And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Then, of course, in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, when it had fully come, there was a sound of a mighty rushing wind, and, and the Spirit of God came upon them, and they were baptized in the Spirit. Now, I don't believe we need to have another day of Pentecost that's already come and, and gone, and it was great. We don't need another Pentecost, just as we don't need another Calvary. But we do need to fully appropriate all that was made available on the day of Pentecost, because after this great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Simon Peter stands up and says this in Acts 2.39, For the promise, this is speaking of the Holy Spirit, is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. But not just on the day of Pentecost. And if you look at the dramatic changes that took place in the life of Peter, this common fisherman, who at one point in his life didn't have enough uh, gumption to, to admit that he was a follower of Jesus Christ, but then on the day of Pentecost, he's so empowered by the Holy Spirit that his preaching and 3,000 people get saved. They believe right there on the spot. That's power. God has that same power available to you and to me. It's available. And I don't know about you, but for me as a guy, and if you're a guy here, you know, we like power. Right? We want more power. You know, especially men, when we buy a car, how fast can this thing go? What kind of horsepower does this thing have? I mean, you look at the Dodge Charger SRT Hellcat, 707 horsepower, 650 pound-feet of torque. Not that you'd ever need that much power, nor is there really any place you can use it legally. But you want bragging rights, right? Now, for some people, you know, they don't have a fast car, but it looks like a fast car, okay? It sounds like a fast car. They put, these, they put these huge mufflers that, to make it sound loud and, the, and they have this huge spoiler on the back that, 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 like that's going to help them stay on the ground when they make their sharp turns in their little four-cylinder engine. <laughs> that's not real power. That's just a lot of noise. That's all it is. And, and, and the same thing is true for some that claim to be under the power of the Holy Spirit. That's not just power. That's just a lot of noise that's going on. Listen, God has power for you. And for me, but it's power with a purpose. It's directed power. It's like a fire hose. You can take a fire hose that is on and, and as you spray away, but if you lose control of that, that thing can be dangerous. It can kill someone. Or you can get an experienced firefighter, wrap his arms around it, and firmly use it to put out fires and to save lives. In the same way, God has power that he wants to come uh, through your life. Power for what? Power for purpose. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me. He says there, that's exactly what we need today, folks. So we can be like John the Baptist, getting our nation, getting our world ready for the Messiah, helping people to realize their need to repent, realize their need for Jesus. We need to have burning hearts. We need to have boldness. and We can't do this on our own strength. We need to be baptized with the Spirit, as John said we could be, to have the Spirit come upon us. So what I'd like to do this morning as we close out our service is give us that opportunity to have the Holy Spirit come upon us, to have that power. You may say, well, Tom, I don't know if I've received that. Well, ask for it. I mean, that's how you receive it. You ask by faith. You say, well, I might have already received it. Okay, well, then ask for a refill. <laughs> that's the good news. God doesn't just, just fill you up once, but over and over again. 
Again, I believe there's a dimension of power that is here for us in the baptism of the Holy Spirit because we're also told in Ephesians 5 to, to be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The, the, the be filled words there actually, actually means be being filled. A continuous filling of the Holy Spirit over and over again. Now let me say this, it doesn't have to be an emotional thing. I think sometimes, you know, we want to get really psyched up about having this experience with God. And if, if I don't get this certain feeling and this rush or tingle down my backbone, then I haven't received any power. It has nothing to do with your emotions. You may feel a lot, you may feel a little, you may feel nothing at all. Jesus simply said he will give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him. Lord, that's what we need to ask. Lord, I need this power. Lord, I want your spirit to come upon me. I want to be that witness that you've called me to be. I remember when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, it was at a retreat, and, and, and we just walked up forward, and, and, and Pastor Greg, Lori, would say, no, just, just pray and ask the Holy Spirit to come upon you. And, and I prayed, and, and I, I, there was no tingles in my toes. You know, I, I noticed people around me were kind of crying. I kind of looked at them a little bit, but <laughs> nothing happened. I didn't feel anything. But when I got back from that retreat, I had boldness and courage to speak up for Jesus like I had never done before. Why? Because it's power with a purpose, power to be a witness. So let's ask God for that power. And before we close and before we do, there may be those here you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ. You've not taken that first step in, in following the Lord. And that is, you know, you need to turn from your sin and turn to Christ. And if you don't have that relationship with Christ, then I encourage you this morning. That is the first step. When Peter boldly shared the gospel, it says that those, those who were listening, they were cut to the heart. And they asked him, what must we do? And, and they wanted to know, what must they do to be saved? And Peter told them in Acts 2.38, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the first step is to recognize that you've sinned and the fact that you need a Savior. We're told in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the, from the dead, you will be saved. So I want to give those that opportunity that don't yet know Christ this morning in a personal way to come to Christ today. Then I want to ask the Holy Spirit to come upon us, to fill us, to give us that, that power. And then next Sunday... We'll complete this whole thing and we'll have our, our water baptism and you can, you, can, you can be dunked. And I promise I won't hold you under too, too long, but, but, but we can complete the whole thing. So uh, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for our sins and rise again from the dead. Oh Lord, I do pray if there's anyone here that doesn't yet know you in a personal way. They've not repented of their sins. They don't have the relationship with you, Lord. But today they, they, they want to. I pray, Lord, that you'd help them to make a stand for you, that they would come to know you this morning. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, is there anyone here this morning that you want to know Jesus Christ? You're tired of living for yourself. You're tired of this world around you and you want to surrender your life to Christ. You want to be born again this morning. If that's your desire, would you raise your hand so I could pray for you this morning? Anybody at all. The first step in coming to know Jesus Christ is saying, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. I want to turn from it. I want to be born again today. If that's your desire, just raise your hand so I can pray for you. Awesome. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are so close, uh, maybe you're here this morning and, and uh, you recognize that you want that power, the power of the Holy Spirit.
We just need to ask the Lord for it. Again, Father, we're so thankful that the work that you've done in our lives in these times in which we're living in our nation, our world, they need to hear about Jesus. But Lord, we admit there's times that, that, that we are afraid, Lord. We are weak, Lord. We, we may be embarrassed or intimidated and, and Lord, we don't speak up. But Lord, your word tells us that there's a power through your Holy Spirit that would empower us to, to be that witness, to have that boldness, Lord. Lord, we do pray for, for that power in our lives, Lord. We pray, Lord, for revival in our nation. Lord, not just a, a one-day or a one-week revival, but a sustained revival, Lord, one that would, would spread across uh, not just Springfield and, and Missouri, but across the whole nation. So, Lord, we're asking you now to, to touch us and fill us with your Spirit. Well, heads are bowed and our eyes are closed again. Just praying where you're at. This is just praying for the Holy Spirit to come upon you if this is your desire. I would encourage you to be it. You know, Then just pray this prayer. Repeat after me, Lord Jesus, I admit I'm weak. At times I'm afraid to speak up for you. But you have promised me power when your Holy Spirit would baptize me. So I'm asking to baptize me in your Holy Spirit. Have your Spirit come upon me to be that witness for you. Lord, I want a burning heart like John. I want to speak out for you, Lord. Use me. By faith we receive the power of your Holy Spirit upon our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now just wait and see what God's going to do in your life. And the boldness and, and excitement as you go, go to share the Lord. It's going to be crazy good. Amazingly. So let's all stand and we'll do one last song together.